And welcome to a Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Richie Buzzkill, and we're going to have an interview today with uh, Tim Wood. Tim Wood is a, uh, he, he has a PhD, he's an author, he's also a professional game master, and he's into game design. So, hi Tim, how's it going? Hey, hey, Richie, how's it going? Great to, uh, great to kind of be here virtually with you. Oh yes, so it's all, it's all virtual today, all virtual all the time today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, for sure. That's something I'm definitely dealing with now with all of my gaming kind of being done online or done digitally, even including the game design that I'm working on. It's kind of all interesting to be living in a world where all gaming, even the tabletop gaming is being done remotely now yeah and and there was such a hesitation for the adoption of of digital uh online gaming with a lot of people i know and now Mm -hmm. some of the most strident uh opposers are like wow this is great i mean it other other than the half an hour of technical garbage you got to do at the front like we had to deal with but uh... (laughs) of course of course yeah there's always the issues but then again it's like better than not getting any gaming at all so yeah that's something i'm definitely hearing from people is uh it's it's like people were interested in this but now people are kind of pushed into giving it a try and and finding out you know how to best do this kind of digital experience yeah i mean there's so many things you can do we could we could get way into like using music on that you know i've learned how to do that i've learned how to do some other stuff but uh today totally today i i i uh i i was i was kind of brought into your uh orbit by this uh game you're 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 working on but i guess but as i dug deeper i found that you did your doctoral dissertation about rpgs and learning using them to learn and i'm not Mm going to try to say the word pedagogical correctly (laughs) Uh, absolutely yeah you nailed it you nailed it all right all right (laughs) sure well, I'll say that yeah, the game that I ended up working on with A24 Films was the uh, a Green Knight RPG. I'm very excited about it. I think it's going to be something that people are really going to have fun with. And it's just so delightful that I kind of got to work on uh, a myth that I was so excited to see adopted into film, but then also be part of the process of adopting that film universe, the universe that they create with that nar- out of that narrative, maybe, let's say. Uh, and uh, the, the whole fantasy... Uh, um, uh, kind of world that they build using that film and then adopting that again into the game universe that uh, and, and the gaming medium. It was very exciting to get to work on that. And as you said, part of the reason they reached out to me was because my background is in education first and foremost, where which is what led me into being a professional game master and basically looking at, uh, through my dissertation, how I got my PhD, looking at the question of how do people interact with these games? What's the connection between how people learn these games, but also how people learn in general through games as tools. And that got me very interested in the whole world of game design and how games are kind of laid out as almost instructional tools for people. Um, so there's a lot of layers going on, but uh, I uh, definitely feel like my my background in teaching is what has made me so interested in games and the way that they work, but also kind of like uh, helped me found my career kind of in, in this universe. Yeah. And, and so are you, uh, are you leading the design on the green Knight RPG or is it like a conglomerate of designers or what? I mean, I'm always fascinated by these kind of like the, it's just sort of happens now. The, um, 
I don't know if you saw the Wendy's RPG that was running around. <laughs> so one of the first things I said to A24 was like, I think this is a great idea. When they reached out to me, they were like, we're doing this Green Knight movie. And I thought I was going to have to tell them, listen, I don't know anything. You know, Arthurian mythology, I know plenty about it, but I'm not an expert on it. I was really afraid that they assumed me knowing about Dungeons and Dragons meant I was going to be very knowledgeable about these Arthurian <laughs> myths. But then they told me they wanted, they told me they wanted to make an RPG and I'm like that's so exciting and there's ways that you can do it that are absolutely great and then there's ways you could do it where it's like well Wendy's made an RPG I mean you don't need to go crazy you could just make something fun for people and I don't I don't wouldn't venture out whether the Wendy's RPG is a fun game or not but it's certainly like a funny thing that they put out there and there's levels on which these companies can get involved but 824 I was really excited because they gave me full creative reign essentially I was the lead designer and got to really apply a lot of the lessons that I've seen for uh, uh, kind of emerge uh, in terms of the game design theory behind RPGs the more I've run Dungeons and Dragons repeatedly, but also lots of other RPGs. I'm a big fan of games like Call of Cthulhu. Um, uh, there's a, a games like Pendragon definitely work their way into the DNA of the Green Knight game. There's a number of different RPGs. Powered by the Apocalypse games, Fate, uh, Fiasco, all of these RPGs that I'm a big fan of, some way or another, their influence has worked their way into this game. So I was very excited that the Green, uh, that A24 was reaching out to me to help lead this design because I did have a lot of help. There was a company, uh, Bond, that was involved in really putting the product together, and they really helped me produce a lot of the copy at the end of the day. But um, it was uh, something where I got to apply a lot of the ideas of creating simple RPGs that anyone can dive into that still through their mechanics allow a lot of depth of gameplay and tell a very evocative and fun story. I really wanted to kind of challenge us to create something that was both accessible, but really fun, strategic, and brings all the things that you're hoping to get when you sit down and play an RPG at the table. Yeah, I, I had uh, I had Pendragon down here on my list of things to ask mm-hmm. you about because like it's a legendary game, and 100%. I have still not got to play with it. <laughs> but it's a legendary <laughs> game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pendragon has always been something that first. I, I, I going back to when I first discovered D anD D. I remember finding Pendragon and Traveler and quite a few other RPGs that were like you know uh, coexisting in that D anD D universe and really never getting a chance to play them when I was younger. But definitely deconstructing the kind of gameplay that would happen in a Pendragon game. It was a fun counterpoint to D anD D, which was so often people's main experience. It was certainly my main experience. But seeing Pendragon as one of the big kind of counterpoints of, okay, you can tell a story that's about this, or you can tell a story that's about chivalry and about virtues and vices and about how those ideas of role-playing interplay in a party where these uh, motivations might really be the driving force behind the whole story. That's definitely some of what I was thinking of when I was designing the Green Knight rules. So, so what kind of, uh, what kind of system I, I saw the D 20, I love the font mm-hmm. on the D 20 is one of my, <laughs> yes. a, a green is one of my favorite colors. And I saw the font and I was like, Oh, why must you only be one in a box? Anyways, I, I think people are really <laughs> going to like the D 20 that you get with it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what, what kind of, uh, what kind of system have you kind of come together in this, in this, in the green Knight RPG? 
Absolutely. The system that I was designing was ultimately my biggest priority was whether you had experience with any other RPGs or not. I wanted to be able to say that anyone could pick up this box and get cracking within a you know couple of hours, maybe even, which uh, is, you know, by RPG standards, you're really just reading the rule book real quick. And honestly, I, I do believe you can pick up and play the game just sitting with your friends and kind of deconstructing what the rules are and stuff like any other board game. But I wanted accessibility to be the drive motivation behind the system and that is why really everything revolves around just d20 rolls that's what it boils down to and everything boils down to this kind of simple mechanic of whether you're doing an honorable action or a dishonorable action so it's a d20 system strictly speaking but it's much much simpler than a lot of d20 systems that are out there i wasn't worried about the difference between a particular kind of sword and a particular kind of halberd this was going to be a game all about these kind of decisions that are putting your moral sensibilities of your ethical, let's say, sensibilities of honor and dishonor to the test, but also factoring in rules where it's like, well, sometimes a dishonorable action is the right move to do. Uh, sometimes an honorable action is the right move to do, certainly, but sometimes a dishonorable action is very, very tempting and very hard to pass up. And waffling back and forth between whether your character is honorable and dishonorable is a large part of what the mechanics of the game are about. Well, and, and that's kind of the, the turning point of the Green Knight. I, I read the I read the summary of the the mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the this the poem, the two thousand plus line poem. Uh, <laughs> and, Absolutely, yeah. And, and that that decision uh, that the Green Knight makes mm-hmm. in there, and I won't spoil it for anybody that doesn't that where he decides to do something that is not honorable is kind of the turning point of that mm-hmm. entire story. And I really, I really dug that idea. And I assumed that the A24 film was going to hinge on something very similar. I was wondering, I saw the leading questions you were putting on the sheet, which I loved. Uh, <laughs> yes. Cause I was, I was like pixel. I was looking very closely at the, the, the shop page and, and the character sheets uh, that, that, that kind of like deciding whether your character is really going to, you know, give up their ideals to do something or, mm-hmm. you know, to their advantage, you know, kind of thing. So that's very cool. Absolutely. The- the idea is you kind of always start just like you might imagine based on the Green Knight story. You start as a character who is somewhere right between being a very honorable person and being a very dishonorable person. You have the potential for either uh, result to kind of emerge, but as you go through, those decisions you make will put you on a slippery slope in one direction or the other. So very much exactly like you're saying, it plays to the uh, ideas that the Green Knight story kind of asks you. The worst result that you can get in the Green Knight story isn't death. It's turning away from the quest and then being like, eh, whatever, I don't I don't actually need to honor my word. That's overrated, actually. Forget it. I'm just going to go back home and I'm going to relax and not worry about facing this the person I've made an oath with, as it were. Um, but uh, ultimately, you got to make a decision somewhere along the line, house close to the dishonorable result you stray before you fail on your quest. Right. And and uh, so that, that kind of brings me to like, so the the Green Knight story is a single. It's a it's a solo RPG. If 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 mm. I was just writing it, I just off the poem, and I, it, by the look of the the trailer for the Green Knight uh, movie, it also looked vaguely kind of like a s- single 
solo RPG. So what did you mm-hmm. do? How did mm-hmm. you bring uh, multiple players to the table? It looked like there were, what, five or six characters uh, in the box? There, absolutely. There are five character classes that you can choose from. And in theory, that was a big thing I considered was really the Green Knight quest, as are many quests. It's about one knight on a journey. Maybe they have an accomplice in the story or something. But the Green Knight quest in particular is very much a solitary story. But I do believe that the biggest thing that tabletop RPGs kind of offer is that fun interaction where you get to sit around with all your friends and build a story together. Um, The fun thing is that the game could, in theory, be played with just one person and their game master having that solo quest experience. But I won't lie, when we were playtesting it, one of the most fun things is when the group gets together. And as we were pointing out, the classes means everyone takes on a different role. There is a knight, but there's also the bard, the person accompanying the night playing the music talking up the whole group encouraging everyone uh there's the magician person who's going to be like in the back kind of casting the spells knowing the secret information learning the secrets of what's really happening around them uh you've got the hunter who's going to kind of be making some maybe sneaky decisions uh maybe kind of erring more on the side of dishonor to get stuff done and not having to worry about the consequences of that quite so much as the other characters and then you've got the noble who is kind of going to be taking on an authority role and like the bard boosting everybody around them but i thought it was really cool seeing all those people get together it kind of still felt like that quest where there's the knight on the quest but maybe they have a party an entourage with them as it were but it did still feel like a, an exciting story where instead of one person's honor being challenged the whole group is being challenged and some people are passing the challenge but other people are succumbing to the temptations of dishonor So it's kind of an interesting interplay, I've noticed. And while you could play it solo, and I think you'd have a lot of fun that way, I'd be highly tempted to encourage people to give it a try, playing with the full five players and experiencing what it's like when some people are like, we got to press on with this quest, everybody. And some people are like, never mind, I'm out. Right. Um, So like how many like so it looks like it's a it's a fairly uh, thin book, at least what I saw. But like how many sessions are we talking about? This is a single night of role playing. Is this a long, you know, campaign uh, of 15, 20? Is this like a three game session? Like how many how long is it kind of uh, this the main quest that you've put in the box here? I wanted to make it very accessible in that regard, and in some sense, the people who you know are used to playing, maybe picking up a board game and getting through one board game in a night, would feel like they could approach the Green Knight RPG and still have a really fun time. So I do like to say that if you really kind of plan out what you're doing and have the rules down maybe ahead of time, you could crack open this box and get through the adventure that's in that booklet in a single session with a group of even five players. I know you could get through it in one night i tend to think the best way to run it is two maybe three hour sessions spread over the course of two nights i think it's a great two night little game and in that sense uh it's perfect for people who are like taking a break from their DD campaign and want to try something out else uh who want to try out a new rpg that isn't too intimidating that isn't going to feel like a whole campaign that they need to take on people who aren't as familiar with rpgs who feel like they want to try something out that doesn't feel like as big of a commitment but But at the same time, I do believe the rules are 
a dep definitely possessing enough depth that you could take what you see in the adventure booklet and then kind of spin off, write your own story, tell your own story, and then you could have as many sessions with the Green Knight RPG as you want. Uh, in theory, it probably is like, uh, say, an adventure like Call of, uh, a game like Call of Cthulhu. It's probably a finite lifespan for the characters in any given narrative, but the replayability uh, is definitely there where you could pick up new characters, tell a new story, and then get through as many sessions of the game as you would want to replay. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I, I, I can totally understand that. And I have a lot of people that I play board games with that would, they're totally like, you know, we want to, we want to just play this like just little tiny thing as opposed to like this. But, you know, some, you got to ask these things to find out. And, uh, you know, there's a Absolutely. map, there's a map in this box that's got way more locations than you could ever visit. I think in mm -hmm. six mm -hmm. hours of gaming, <laughs> you know, that, four to six hours that, of gaming. That map is there because it does hint at locations that are in the adventure book, but at the same time contains a great many adventures that are, uh, or potential. Uh, it has locations for potential adventures that I think no one is going to run out of inspiration and ideas. Once they have that map in hand, it's immediately going to give people some ideas. And the adventure book also suggests we have three different adventures that are kind of uh, fun, little inspired by other a 24 film adventure prompts to kind of construct your own the green knight rpg adventure around you know these little uh prompts as it were something that a skeleton that you can build a story around oh excellent so you can finally play that midsummer uh rpg <laughs> you've always wanted i won't spoil anything but if you are interested in getting a little idea for how you would do the green knight rpg in you know kind of a midsummer type story then you are definitely looking at the right place excellent excellent <laughs> Um, well, very cool. It sounds like a, a great little product. I, I'm glad that a name was attached to it. This is this is one of my my kind of pet peeves about say some of these RPGs where it's like uh, the Wendy's one we mentioned earlier. I could mm -hmm. not find who actually designed it. I've been trying mm -hmm. to find who actually designed the silly thing because I'm fascinated <laughs> by this process of the the of the RPGs coming out of the, the coming out of the basement. And becoming more inclusive, but also kind of spreading out into these more disparate areas so we can get more interesting stories and games out of this, even if it is corporate overlords. Uh, no, nothing wrong with that, <laughs> but I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm fascinated by this process. So that's why. I Absolutely. You know, I, I notice every day how more and more people get involved in the RPG hobby, how it's become so part of the mainstream culture. And it's just something that excites me so much because the stories we've always been telling, they're always going to be there for us to tell. You can always go back to like original, like original OD&D, like Gygaxian era RPGs and stuff. You'll always be able to do that stuff, but it is still so cool to see more and more people jumping into the universe and the definition of what your RPG keeps expanding to be more and more inclusive of all of these storytelling concepts and these storytelling mechanisms that definitely weren't around when i was playing when uh, the game younger so it's very exciting time i feel like yeah, and you're on kind of a, a, a i would call a frontier of rpgs with mm -hmm. professional mm -hmm. game mastering uh I, I don't know many people who have ever gotten paid legitimately mm -hmm. not just like here's some pizza for game mastering <laughs> so for sure i i kind of want to know like 
uh, you've answered all kinds of questions about this, but I kind of want to know about what the most interesting gig you've ever done as a professional game master. (laughs) Well, let's see. Um, I've definitely run a lot of fun uh, events that I feel very privileged to have gotten to be a part of. I got to go down to a a big D and D themed party in Florida where they brought me down to run one of the D and D tables that was going to be running in this big house. And one of the coolest things was seeing how crazy people got with the costumes. There were people with unbelievably good costumes. And at the end of the day, when they had the costume contest, one guy was a gelatinous cube. He was a big like cube with all of this like tarp film over him. And I watched them slay him at the end of the day. I, (laughs) I feel like that was a big moment where if you had told 12-year-old me that I would see like a bunch of just really cool people gathering, like cheering each other on in like a uh, artificial virtual tavern setting that had been constructed in the foyer of this house, cheering each other on as they had this costume contest and then slew a gelatinous cube. I don't know how my younger self would have been able to comprehend exactly what you were describing, but so that one stands out as a really, really cool event that I got to be a part of for sure. Um, I don't know if it's the coolest one. I did run an event where people had splurged on quite a bit of Dwarven Forge, and I got to DM for it was it was over a, a spread of two tables that were probably like three feet by uh, ten feet worth of Dwarven Forge, just laid out towns and mountainscapes in a huge castle in their entirety. That was really fun wow. to get yeah. to kind of DM like a, a, just a diorama essentially that large. It was like kind of being given all the tools you could ever ask for as a DM. Um, So uh, and then I have been brought down into various contexts doing like consulting work, obviously game design work like this. But I've actually worked with the uh, uh, with uh, labs down in uh, um, uh, uh, what was it Uh, down in Washington where they were working on uh, kind of the uh, critical thinking training that the uh, parts of the military would use uh, in order to kind of like train soldiers and stuff and they were realizing the intersections of gameplay and how like critical thinking is a very important thing that like people especially like in situations where it's like life and death need to be able to critical think and how games do evoke that and so I got to be kind of the voice of like yeah it's really important like let's include all these critical thinking ideas because certainly the people who are making really intense important decisions we want them to be able to uh, you know be able to rely on the training that they're getting to promote good critical thinking and so it's been really cool getting to be a part of a lot of different projects that have been in many many different you know, kind of kind of areas uh, both running games for people and working on other stuff well that that's that's uh, those are some those are inter- very interesting uh, uh, situations both the house and the well just to let somebody else touch i'm sure like tens of thousands of dollars worth of dwarven forge that <laughs> oh my gosh yeah yeah it was like i felt like at least yeah i was looking at those tables it was like really exciting um but also the, the you know it the military has always been you know the, realistically the german military was kind of the proto uh, uh, home of RPGs that that mm-hmm. kind of spawned the war games that Gygax played with you know mm-hmm. some, some having a game master in a war game is uh, an 18th century idea, um, mm-hmm. but so uh, that you know that's uh, did they did, did were you doing scenario going over scenarios were you developing scenarios f- with uh, for them or were you just like trying to consult on something they had already designed. <laughs> 
It was a certain degree of bringing in kind of the ideas that you're highlighting where they were curious about the applications of gameplay and how gameplay could be used in intersection with training. And as you're kind of highlighting with RPGs basically having an emerge from these military training exercises that militaries were using in Germany and Prussia and the early Kriegspiel games and stuff like that, this was the cradle of where RPGs emerged from. And I always argue, especially in my PhD, in my dissertation, a huge part of that was uh, kind of showing the educational history that RPGs emerged out of, and then showing how if we use RPGs, they're some of the best learning tools that we have at our disposal, not just for like rote, like, okay, yes, you did this right and that wrong. Good strategic decision here, bad strategic decision here. But because they have evolved to incorporate like social enterprises and a vast array of things that are not just battlefield strategy, they can be used for promoting a kind of critical thinking that extends beyond just strategic and then goes into how you can create like empathy building exercises and exercises that teach you how to, uh, essentially I like to think of it as, as you can you can learn war through RPGs, absolutely, but you can learn peace and you can learn a lot of other things through RPGs as well. Uh, I like to think a lot of what went into the Green Knight RPG was my thinking about how RPGs make us ask questions of, like, what is the honorable decision here? Well, okay, I think it's honorable to do this, but I also know it's not honorable to do this, so um, what is the right choice here? And I think when we think of games as being strategic, awesome, it's so cool because they are great learning exercises for that, but when it becomes more about the interpersonal aspects, that's where RPGs can teach in ways that other games can't. And they were kind of bringing me in to ask about the very interpersonal elements of training and the tr virtual training exercises they do and how some elements of virtual reality training can be like alienating, but other elements can be very humanizing and, and create a lot of empathy and what the differences in different kinds of game designs would be in that respect. Yeah, and, and I really feel like this is, I mean, RPGs have been growing since the beginning and there's been some, you know, earlier stuff that was, was, was more in, in the vein of, you know, cause really D and D grew out of chain mail, which is, you know, yeah. it was very much a tactical game. It was, but it was like, a war game where we said, what if we just control one person? And like, that was the birth of the RPG. Yeah. Right. But it was games like Pendragon that mm -hmm. brought those ethical conundrums involved that kind of grew into the, you know, ethical conundrum games of the nineties, like the white wolf stuff that then mm -hmm. kind of begot the indie games of the two thousands that kind of get into the place where we're asking these leading questions at, at, character creation as opposed to depending upon somebody to write a background story for their character that has enough hooks on it so i can have lead them to where i need them to be <laughs> yeah absolutely which very often in, in these war game influenced rpgs like DD, it's like how do i get you to the thing that you need to fight through this story lens whereas as you're saying pendragon is almost all about these character choices and these decisions and the motivations that your character has and by the same token i consider call of cthulhu to be so instrumental in that era of early like uh, differentiating rpgs from 
uh, Dungeons and Dragons because you immediately, one of my favorite things about Call of Cthulhu is the conundrum you're immediately faced when it's a horror story instead of an adventure one. Well, then what is the right decision? The right decision in Call of Cthulhu is always go home. Don't yes. go on the quest. <laughs> Stay home and just go to work and, and live your life and read normal books. And every decision that you make that pushes you towards the story is inevitably the wrong decision, but it, you're, you're not just, as opposed to D&D, you can, if you want, you could boil it down to, well, no, this is just a game where I try to have the most hit points after I've defeated the dragon, and it's like a mathematic, you know, there's very clear delineations of success or failure. I'd argue that's not true, but many people play that way, and you absolutely can play D&D that way. As soon as you pick up Call of Cthulhu, though, immediately you're weighing two different motivations. I want to survive, but I also want to know what's happening here. And those two motivations are very much at odds with each other. So it's, I think, immediately a much richer space to play within uh, than than a space where, you know, thinking like, okay, my goal here is to win. I got to get the treasure and I got to get out. And like, okay, I think it's pretty simple. And D&D becomes more fun when you evoke these other dimensions, those other elements uh, that kind of games like Pendragon and call Cthulhu I feel highlight especially right and and you know we're we're getting closer to D&D being a little you know a little more looser but it's still very much D&D and someday mm-hmm. I hope that you know more you know that the the 95% of the people that play role playing games discover there's another 100 100,000 role-playing games (laughs) totally totally i'm always like kind of because my so much of my work is as you said on the frontier i'm not when people come in and say you know dungeon dragons that's the only game that i know of i'm you know there to argue with them about that i'm there to be like cool dungeon dragons let's go and so i'll 95 of what i run is absolutely D, but i'm always excited to see players picking you know picking up D and then expanding beyond it i absolutely believe it is a gateway and i don't begrudge it it's place as kind of the gateway leading other people in i'm always excited to kind of uh when people reach out to me and are like well we want to play D, but we're also doing like a 1920s themed party where there's a bartender then all of a sudden i'm like i need to stop you right there i think there's another game that we should really be considering here and so if i feel comfortable i'll always be pushing people towards other rpgs especially if i feel like there are rpgs i'm proficient in like call of cthulhu uh enough to you know feel like i this is something i I can definitely run professionally with these people, but uh, it's just funny to see the place that it's in because I do think it leads people to other RPGs, but very often it's, you know, the, the, the main thing getting requested and I just see how it does dominate the, the scene when you're outside of the, the game uh, for people. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, I got one more question for you uh, is mm-hmm. there, there will be someone listening to this at some point that will be like a professional game master. That's all I ever wanted to do. Why would I do any other job? What would be your uh, 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 advice to that person sitting out there uh, in, in podcast land thinking, man, I really want to be a professional game master. 
Absolutely. I'll say this. I think everyone I think everyone here's professional game master and especially if you've been loving RPGs as a hobby for as long as I have, I think people hear that and the first reaction is, "Oh my gosh, why would people do anything else?" And I feel, you know, almost morally obligated. The first thing I always want to say is, "Yeah, I I always want to say that the first thing is, you know, this is a definitely very fun job and awesome job. So much of it is a performance and I do feel like uh, teaching for as long as I did helped me really see the connections between teaching and game mastering and how they are in some ways very similar similarly rewarding but in other ways I because I've taught and also dungeon mastered I see how the two jobs have very similar draining effects it's a high energy high intensity job whatever level of teaching you're at whether it's the university high school grade school going all the way down to taking care of really young kids and helping them learn uh it is a very physically taxing very physically draining job and that is probably the number one thing i didn't think about when i was setting out like oh awesome if i can be running games and paying my bills with that i'm gonna be so excited and nothing could go wrong at that point and now <laughs> it's like well i gotta consider you know my mental health is a very important thing my physical health is a very important thing there's so much prep that goes into a lot of my games it's a very important thing for me to consider so i would never i have no regrets when it comes to my career i love everything that i do in my work but it's definitely not something that I think everyone would want to do. I think that's the initial reaction. But then the more you think, especially if you run a lot of D&D games, you know how sometimes uh, the, the emotional toll of it can be very, very taxing. And uh, it's something that I definitely encourage people to get excited about. But it's also something that there's a lot of other factors to consider about when you're running games, especially this would be the kind of advice I would give. Consider the fact that when you run professional games, you're looking at what somebody else wants out of a D&D experience. And what's really cool about that is it's made me a better game master for all of my games. Even the games I run fun, I'm realizing now like, oh, this is nothing but me sitting down and being like what do other people want to have out of this i think all game masters myself absolutely included we sit down and say oh i know what i want to get out of this game i'm really excited for this to happen i'm really excited for this but especially when you're doing it professionally it's gotta always be the focus on okay how a good example would be if i have three hours to work with time you know that i've been allotted this time i definitely don't want to end on a bad cliffhanger there's good cliffhangers there's bad cliffhangers and i want to make sure that we feel like we got a well-rounded story out of this and so those are the considerations where when i was running rpgs for fun i got to kind of sit back and be like well you know if the players don't do it i mean we're all building this together and i i mean it's uh it's got to be a, a collaborative effort so i hope we all uh, have a good time today but i i'm not going to necessarily put that too heavily on myself i think that's too much to ask if you're just having fun with your friends uh, and that's a thing I love about game mastering is you are building it all together. But when I'm running games professionally, so many of my clients are people who are coming to the game totally new or maybe people who are coming to the game, uh, you know, a little tired, feel like uh, they're not really sure if they're going to have fun playing D&D. And then that's my enthusiasm that is going to hopefully bring them into that experience and make sure that they do have fun for the next three hours. So it's very much, I, I don't know exactly what people who are like putting on a play creating movies or media like that are exactly doing, but I do feel like there are definitely parallels where it's kind of like, well, I want to make, if, if I don't feel like I can put on a good uh, 
performance for everybody and take everyone through a good experience, I'm better off canceling the game that night and checking in on a day when I'm feeling better or something than trying to push myself to provide something that, you know, really depends upon my enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of everybody, you know, being able to to cross that threshold from being like, oh, maybe we're you know, however we're feeling, we're going to have fun in this game, right, everybody? That's a big enrollment project. And a lot of what you do as a professional game master ends up being a lot of that, um, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, crowd work. I use crowd work because it's funny to apply a term like that to an RPG table. But you're you're really trying to create a good experience for people. That's what you're trying to do. And um uh, that is that is not always an easy thing to do. And uh, I think when you're volunteering, when you're doing it with your friends, there's more permission to make that a collaborative project in a certain sense, if, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And it sort of reminds me of a couple different situations. One, we were talking about virtual gaming. Uh, I find that running a, a game for more than two hours or three hours online to be very draining because your attention... Sp- like running or even playing a game, your attention has to be so focused on what, you know, Mm -hmm. that, 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 that can be very draining. And then also running uh, RPGs at conventions, which I think is probably the Ah. closest uh, metaphor to what you're talking about, because it's like, you don't know who's going to sit down at your table. You don't know what Mm -hmm. their day is like. You also are kind of there to entertain them as opposed to, I mean, the game master in a traditional game, everybody kind of forgets that they're also a player, so they should be having mm-hmm. fun too. But in mm-hmm. but some of that has to be dialed back a little bit, especially when you're doing a convention game. It'd be like, it, you should be having a lot of fun because it, it should be a lot of fun because you're, do, you're doing it because you want to. But in a professional game, I can imagine having to kind of, okay... It's not. It's going to be fun for me in some ways, but otherwise, why would I do it? Because there's a lot of other stuff I could probably be making a little more money at, maybe. At the mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also, you're trying to uh, make sure that the the clients are are having fun uh, at this at at all at, at, as much as possible. It, it, whatever that fun is, whether it's happy or sad, it's fun is not always like having a fun time it's about having some sort of experience that they can take away but absolutely i have to agree probably convention games are the best parallel to what i do on a regular basis for sure i and the kind of uh, uh, luck of the draw of who's going to sit at your table are they going to be a good match for you uh, in some sense I'm both in a more difficult and a much much easier position because well over 90% of my players are coming to the table with the, the expectation being like woohoo I'm an elf I can't believe I would ever have this cool an experience I'm just like yep you're an elf and let me just now help you through all the rest of these rules but like they're already happy at this point because they're getting to sit down and have this experience that they've only been able to access through uh like maybe they've seen on a tv show or something like that so in some sense i know these people probably are not going to have rigorous expectations in a certain sense but also i do need to do that much more guiding on a regular basis i'm kind of checking in are we understanding the rules have i done a good job this time uh, you know uh, amongst my other groups of scaffolding all those rules making sure that i've been clear and walked everybody through what they're 
character's options are and made everyone feel, you know, I'm always reaching for that one player at the table who maybe feels the most reluctant or intimidated. And if I can enroll that player, then I can enroll everybody in that table, even the most, you know, in, intense, excited, uh, most uh, experienced players are going to be more excited if they feel like everyone at the table is also engaged. And so that's definitely a certain amount of parallel to the uh, convention games for sure. Well, excellent. I mean, that is hitting for the, the cheap seats. That's what we try to do in game mastering. And I see that that's not, no different for uh, professionals. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Tim, is there anything else you would like to talk about or plug while we're here? Uh, the, the, it, the, the, uh, red carpets all for you. And uh, thank you for coming, uh, to full metal RPG. I absolutely appreciate it. I mean, obviously, the Green Knight game, very excited about that. You're able to pre-order it now if you go onto my social media or timwoods.com is where you can kind of get uh, links to all of the different work that I'm producing right now. Um, so the Green Knight RPG, very excited. Hopefully, we are going to have some kind of uh, medium uh, video media being released where you're going to be either, either able to uh, watch how the game is played or even maybe watch some people play the game at some point. So we'll be able to see uh, what's going to be released soon in that regard. Uh, also, feel free to check out my publications. I have a, a book of uh, cities and towns, random tables for when you're playing your RPG. Uh, if you're playing in a fantasy setting especially, you can roll uh, on my book of tables to kind of generate all the random uh, you know, stuff that they might find in the garbage, in the sewers, uh, random people that you might find on the street. So a whole book of tables for randomly generating content fantasy rpg you can find that on my website and uh, hopefully soon uh looking around this fall i'll be releasing my series that is going to be a call of cthulhu game that i ran with my family where we did a uh, about a seven part game that i'll be releasing in episodes uh and and hopefully people will be able to tune in and watch us play that and where will that be at uh, what was that where, where will that be released to youtube that, a podcast or it, it'll be released on uh, we're not actually sure exactly what medium but definitely YouTube in some capacity and it's going to be mo mainly available on my website that's going to be the plan so Excellent. Uh, Excellent. You'll, if you tune into my social media you will definitely see updates about that as we get closer to the fall and I'll, I'll add a bunch of links in the show notes so you're, you're, you'll be covered so anybody can go look at the show notes and uh, see see what he, uh, he we're linking to these all these fantastic things out there in the real world <laughs> <laughs> love it that sounds great well thank you very much for uh coming on full metal rpg tim excellent thanks so much for having me Rich. no problem good luck out there <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.